On Wednesday morning from 10 to 12, we have a uh, <coughs> older <coughs> person's Bible study. Men, men and women, you don't have to be <coughs> old to come. You may come if you're young, if you have the time available between 10 and 12. We'd love to have you. We have a great time in Bible study with Joe Ramirez. And uh, if we're lucky, we get to play dominoes. And the smart kids, if, see, not, not enough smart kids are coming lately because there's not a Scrabble game going. But the smart kids, they play Scrabble, okay? And the rest of us, we play dominoes. <laughs> All right, that's my two bits worth. Are we finished? Okay, I'm sorry. Pastor, it's all yours. So I can assure you that every Sunday is going to be a little different because, because we're trusting the Holy Spirit to take control. So this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice because he has made me glad. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect plan. Jesus, we thank you for being that perfect sacrifice who came and died on Calvary's hill. But through the power that you have raised on the third day with all power in your hands so that we might be saved. And holy Spirit, we welcome you today to teach us your perfect will. So now, Lord, I ask you to hide me behind the cross that it might be all of thee and none of me. Use me for your glory so that these, your people, might be edified. And, Lord, I thank you in advance for what you are going to do in and through this message today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, do we have a message up there? Oh, yeah, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Familiar passage in scripture that maybe some of us don't truly understand. You know, you know, I read some things in, in scripture when I was preparing this message and the scripture kind of told me ahead of times that um, 
there might be some people that don't like this message. I can't help that. I really can't. You know, my wife told me a long time ago is that uh, you, you always cutting people and stepping on their toes. And, and, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I like those good messages. I like them fluffy messages, too. I said, but God don't give me a whole lot of them. And the reason why he doesn't is because, you know, we, we, we got issues. We got problems. And so I'm going to read uh, the passage. And if you're able, stand with me as I read. Luke, the 10th chapter. Starting at the 25th verse. And I'm reading from New American Standard. And it reads as follows. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him. And went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, 
and whatever more you spend, I will return and I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers, into the robbers' hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. You may be seated. Who, who do you envision? Who do you envision when you hear the word neighbor? I submit to you that most likely, that it is most likely different from the way Jesus sees a neighbor. And if we don't envision a neighbor as Jesus sees a neighbor, we have a problem. So, in this message, I'm praying that God will help us to see the problem. Show us where the problem came from and also how the problem can be fixed. You see, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he saw the problem that the Pharisees had with the scriptures. Not only was it a problem the religious leaders had, but it was also a problem his disciples had. And the problem continues today. But Jesus can fix it. There's a, a similar story in, in Mark, the 12th chapter. And we don't have to go there. When a scribe asked Jesus, what commandment is foremost of all? Jesus answered, was the same as the one given by the lawyer in today's scripture. The foremost is, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Although the scribe in, in, in Mark 12 agreed that everything Jesus said was written in the scriptures, Jesus' response was, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So you mean that I'm not there yet? I said that everything you said was scripture. Where do I come up short? See, neither the lawyer nor the scribe had a 
problem reading scripture. Nor do we have a problem today reading scripture. We saw this uh, the last couple of months when Pastor David had various people come up and read the scripture that he prepared for his sermon that particular day. We don't have a, a problem reading scripture. But where the problem was for uh, the lawyer and the scribe and where our problem is today is the understanding of scripture. In his teaching, Jesus often used parables. And I'm trusting that he uses this parable today to teach us. So if you, if you look at the scripture, when, when, when the lawyer asked his question, Jesus responded with two questions. What is written in the law? And then he followed that question with another question. How does it read to you? See, that's where our problem is. See, we don't have a problem reading scripture. We all can read the scripture. But our problem is the understanding of the scripture. He said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? To paraphrase what Jesus might have been thinking, you can read the scripture, but how do you understand them? And then what happens with our lack of understanding, we try to justify our own understanding. Which oftentimes does not line up with scripture. See, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study. Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly able to divide the word of truth. That's what it says. So now how do we understand that? Just go backwards. If you want to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, you have to study. And study is different from reading. Because studying takes work. And if you study in the working through the scripture, then God is approved of you. And then God will give you understanding. 
I hope that makes sense. We all can read scripture, but do we understand scripture? And that's the key. Our understanding of scripture has to line up with what God is trying to teach us. And that's where we have a problem. Verse 29, it says, but wishing to justify himself. Wishing to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? To paraphrase what the lawyer might have been thinking, look, through my understanding of scripture, I've already decided who my neighbor is. I just need you, Jesus, to confirm that I am right. But he was wrong. And often we are wrong in our understanding of Scripture. So now through this parable, through the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus teaches the lawyer and us a right understanding as to who our neighbor is. Verse 25, he, he starts out with a man. Who is this man? Possibly a Jew. But he was a man. And I submit to you that this man really meant mankind. Mankind basically can mean a man, a woman, a black woman, a white little girl, an Asian man, Latino, male or female. What I'm trying to explain to you the importance of the label that we put on people is something that we've created in our own understanding. He was a man. He was a man. You could put, if you're in the labels, you can put any label on there. The policeman, the mayor, the governor, the judge, the president, the preacher, the deacon, the Sunday school teacher. Simply, these are people who profess to live by the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. In other words, these people, neighbors, rep represent church folks. So we, we claim to adhere to the first commandment. Oh, we love the Lord with all our heart and all our strength and all of our mind. But we don't understand the second commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Because we make up in our own understanding, in our own minds, who our neighbors are.
So to put it simply, this person was a human being that needed help. A human being that needed help. So verse 31 and 32, the priest and the Levi. You caught up in titles, you can put any of them titles in there. But they were people who supposedly understood scripture. But their understanding was was flawed. But he was supposedly adhering to the first commandment. But tried to justify his own understanding of the second commandment. It's the same thing we do with Lord and Savior. We happily expect the Savior part. But, mm, you know, that Lord part, I don't know. You know, I, I still kind of like to do my own thing. But, uh, you know, Lord, you my Lord. But, you know, some things it just, you know, I'm going to just do my own thing. It doesn't say Savior or Lord. It says Savior and Lord. Just like the commandments that Jesus gave. Yeah, you're supposed to love me. But you're also supposed to love your neighbor. It's like, it's like yeah, I got this from Rod Earls when he was here preach before. It says like you're, you're like in a plane 25,000 feet up in the air. And somebody asks you the question, which wing is more important? Common sense tell you you need both wings. So, so we have to get out of the habit of dividing Savior and Lord. It's both. And just like the commandment that Jesus said that was foremost, you love me, but you also have to love your neighbor. It's not either or. It's both. The two who pass by, the, the religious folks that pass by, the church folks who pass by, they knew based on their own understanding of scripture that this man who was in need robbed of his possessions, beaten to near death, did not qualify as their neighbor. How, how did they get to that point? How do we get to this point? One word, tradition. Tradition. See, tradition gives us a flawed understanding of who our neighbor is. 
someone who looks like us, talks like us, lives in our segregated neighborhoods, worships in our segregated churches. Those folks are our neighbors. But Jesus teaches something different. See, Christ taught that our neighbors are not just the ones who are most like us, but also the ones who are most different from us. Our neighbors are the people our own social circles have rejected. And in order to love them, we must make space for them in our lives. We must get close to them in our lives. We must get close to them both mentally and physically. The mental part, the good Samaritan put himself in the shoes of the man that was in need, possibly asking himself a question. If I was in this position, would I need a good Samaritan? And physically, The Samaritan got his hands dirty. He met the man where he was. He used his hands to bind him up, care for him, put some disinfectant on his, on his wounds, put him on his own beast. He had been riding the beast, but yet this man that was in need needed the beast more than he did. So he walked and put the man on his own beast. That's neighbor. That's neighbor. See, see, to bring it real, real close to home, we had, now I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York is right on the border of Canada. When I was in the Navy, I was stationed in San Diego, real close to the border of Mexico. There is no question that we treat our neighbor to the south different than we treat our neighbor in the north. And some people are fine with that. Some people are fine with that. But I don't think Jesus is fine with that. According to what he's teaching us through this parable, I don't think Jesus would be fine with that. I just heard today, or yesterday I think it was, you know, the, the Haitian president was assassinated. And in hearing that story, they said that the Haitian people are dying because of the virus because they don't have the vaccine. We have people in this country who don't want to get the vaccine, refuse to take the vaccine. But yet we have a neighbor 
that would love to have the vaccine because they're dying and they don't get it. Is that neighborly? See, it, it ain't about politics. It's about reality. This is what's going on. It's not neighborly. We have people that are in need and nobody's helping them. And people are dying. We have people that refuse to take the vaccine. So that means that we should have an abundance of vaccine. But yet we have other people who don't get the vaccine because we have chosen through our own understanding who our neighbor is. So what did Jesus say about traditions? You know, as I was preparing this message, because I'm going to be, if the Lord says the same, I'm going to be speaking next week. So I said, well, I ain't going to talk about traditions. I'm going to save that for next week because I don't want you to lose your patience with me and drift off because you're hungry or worried about what you're going to do after you get out of here. So I'm going to save that for, for next week. Let me close with, with talking about this, this good Samaritan. He is obviously the one that Jesus wants us to emulate. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. It talks about salvation, how, how we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but you understand what I'm saying. But then it goes on to say, we are saved unto good works. We're not saved because of our good works. But God saves us so that we can do good works. And the good works is part of your salvation. See, see, coming to Jesus and receiving him as Lord and Savior is just the beginning. Because when you come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior... Hearing the gospel message, how Jesus came from glory, dwelt among us, voluntarily went to the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. He died on that cross. He was buried. He rose on the third day with all power in his hands. And he invites us into a relationship with him. And when we see, when we receive the free gift of salvation, he indwells us with the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. And the job, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide us 
into all truth and bring back to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. So, the Holy Spirit has to have something to work with. If one of his jobs is to bring back to your remembrance, there has to be something in your memory to bring back. That's why we study. We need to stop making excuses. I always talk about it. My, my Sunday school class will tell you we, we need to stop making excuses and understand that that, that Holy Spirit that, that God indwells us with is the power we need to do what he's commanded us to do. Dunamis, where we get our word dynamite from. That's it. But see, the eyes get in the way. And we take our, just like, like Peter, taking his eyes off of Jesus and looking at the water. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on us. And we convince ourselves that we're not qualified to do what God has commanded us to do. And uh, God simply said, why can't they understand? I've given them everything. I've given them my word. I've given them salvation. I've given them power to do what I've commanded them to do, and they won't do it. You know, it's kind of like how you, you know, when kids are young, you tell them something over and over and over, and they just keep doing the same thing that they want to do. That's us. I'm just not talking about Calvary. I'm, I'm just saying us. We all do it. Moses had excuses. Jeremiah had excuses. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Ain't nobody going to listen to me. Moses said, but I, I, I got a problem speaking. God said, look, don't worry about how you speak. I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He'll speak for you. So, so understanding that all the excuses that we have, if we give them to God, he'll shoot those down too. He's given us dunamis. He's given us the power to do what he's commanded us to do. And because he's given us the power to do what he's commanded to do, he gets all the glory. It's him. It's not us. You know, I, I, I stand up here and I, and, I, and I talk, and a lot of times stuff just comes into my head, and I get off script and, and, and all kinds of stuff. But, but God can use a raven to feed a prophet. And he can use a donkey to deliver a message. You don't think God can use you? We need to stop making excuses and be about God's business. You know, and something else just popped up. You know, the, the, the disciples asked Jesus a question one day. 
And he said, the disciples said, what must we do to do the work of God? And Jesus answered with one word, believe. See, because when we believe, everything that God wants us to do for his kingdom follows. When we take the focus off of us and put our focus on Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, everything else falls into place. That's why he gave us the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with everything in you. And when we do that, we believe. And when we believe, we put our belief into action. And when we put our belief into action and see that it works just the way God said it was going to work, he gets the glory. Because he's used you as a vessel to deliver his message or whatever else he wants you to do. Use you just like he used the raven. Use you just like he used the donkey. Because you know we sheep, right? He can use animals. He can use a donkey, a raven. So why would we think that God can't use us? So the Samaritan knew what salvation was all about. He knew he was saved by grace, but he also knew that he was saved unto good works. Not either or, both. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are what we call works religion. They're trying to do things to work for their salvation. You know, we see them riding bikes knocking on doors with their watchtower. We see them folks. They're working because they're trying to get saved. See, we should be doing those same things because we are saved. And that's why God left us here. If it had been all about salvation, as soon as we received Jesus as Lord and Savior, he would have zapped us and took us to glory. But he left us here. And he left us here to do a work, a good work. And the only way we can do a good work is to understand what a good work is. And understanding comes from God. What does it say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Familiar passage. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. See, own understanding messes us up. It's flawed. That's why God said, don't do it. Don't do it. Let me give you understanding. As you study my word and don't understand it, but you be diligent continuously study it. And when my time is right, I'll give you the understanding. 
the psalmist in Psalm 119 prayed at least eight times. That's what I count. It might be more. Eight times for understanding. As people of God, we need to study scripture, read scripture, study scripture, and pray for understanding. Eight times. Verse 27 in Psalm 19, make me understand the ways of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it in my heart. Verse 73, your hands made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. And one more, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I might know your testimonies. And there's more. Verse 104, verse 130, verse 144, verse 169. This is a man, a godly man, who wanted to make sure he had things right. We can't go by tradition. That's the message for next week, our tradition. Our traditions are messed up. are really, really messed up. So understanding was important to the psalmist and should be to us. But tradition sometimes keeps us from understanding what thus says the Lord. We must pray to receive the understanding that only comes from God. God teaches togetherness. Tradition teaches otherness. God brings folks together into his kingdom. Tradition divides us. The good Samaritan who would have been despised by the priests and the Levites because of tradition. He was a good neighbor. It didn't matter what those religious folks thought of him. He was striving to be obedient to the understanding that he received from God. And if you are here today and don't know Jesus, doesn't matter what people think of you. doesn't even matter what we think of you. Because Jesus clearly said, whosoever will, let him come. See, we don't have, we don't have a, a, a heaven or hell to put anybody in. That's all God's work. 
So all we have to do is be good neighbors and be receptive of anyone that comes through that door. We're in this period of transition. We don't know who God's going to send. But no matter how they act when they come through that door, we have a responsibility to the one who saved us to act in a way that is pleasing to him. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. We don't have the luxury of just acting in any kind of way. We're children of God. We're called to a higher authority. And we need to act like it. And let me say this while I'm talking about acting like it. We have to be careful how we treat our pastor. If you don't know how to treat your pastor, you can come and ask me, and I'll take you to the scriptures. We can't treat pastors any old kind of way. We can't develop a, 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 a flawed understanding as to thinking, oh, the pastor, we hired him. We can fire him. That is totally, totally unbiblical, and it is not neighborly. The scripture says that God chooses pastors after his own heart. God already knows who our next pastor is going to be. He already knows it. You know, we, we put together these pastor search committees and all of this thinking we're doing something. Yeah, we go through the motions. We know that if, if somebody comes in and, and, you know, their doctrine is all out of whack and, you know, God has given us a spirit of discernment to we, where we know that, no, that's not a man after God's own heart. But once God chooses the pastor and the pastor gets here, the pastor is not an employee who we can hire and fire. The pastor becomes the spiritual leader of the church. That's who he is. He becomes a spiritual a man that is chosen by God to lead God's flock. And the pastor's responsibility is to lead us in knowledge and understanding. So now here is one appointed by God, sent by God, who was appointed to give us knowledge and understanding that lines up with God, and we want to treat them disrespectfully. I won't talk about Pastor Dean, I won't talk about Pastor Shelton, but I've been here for a while. And I know how those pastors have been treated by some people. We got to change. We have to change. If we want to receive the blessings that God has for us as a body, we have to change our thinking. We have to change our understanding. 
because just because you've been in church a long, long time doesn't necessarily mean you know a whole lot. We need to get the understanding of God's gifts. So I already know some of y'all don't like this message. But I, <laughs> I, I, I can't do nothing about it. I give the message to you that God gives to me. And that's why I do. Because so, I'm, I'm, I'm very, and I think I told somebody this just the other day. Lori, I told her something. That, that that's a personal thing between me and her. I'm not going to share what we talked about. But one of the things I told her is that I'm very, very protective of God's word. That's why as we go through this transition, you just won't have anybody and everybody come up here and preach. You will have different people, but we will make sure that their teaching and their doctrine is biblical. That's another responsibility of the pastor. The pastor, if he goes on vacation, or, or isn't here a particular Sunday, his responsibility is still to protect the flock. That's why he has to make very sure that the person that teaches and preaches to us lines up biblically with God's word. So this is not the time for People that sit in the congregation to say, uh, you know, pastor's gone, maybe I'd like to preach. No, no, no. You get offended if I tell you no. I said no. There's only two positions in the church that are callings. Pastors, preachers, deacons. And why is that? Because pastors and deacons are vetted. Congregation calls the deacon. The deacon is vetted. Whether it's an open ordination or closed, he is vetted. He is questioned. The church has to make sure that he's solid in biblical doctrine. Same with pastors and preachers. Now, if you've been coming two weeks because you heard that there's an opening for pastor and you say you want to come up and preach, no. <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen because in the church, even though sometimes we get away from it, everything is supposed to be done decent and in order. According to God's decency and according to God's order. I've actually finished my message. I'm just talking now. But I'm going to close. <laughs> So, clearly, God said in his word, whosoever will, let him come. Why is the Samaritan good? Because he showed mercy. It's the same mercy that God has shown on us. Because that man 
robbed, stripped of his clothes, beaten, and left for dead. That's us before Jesus enters our life. That's us before we receive the free gift of salvation. We were doing things our own way, contrary to God's word, in charge of our own lives, the Lord of our lives, and it beat us up. It robbed us of the joy of having a relationship with the true and living God. And we were dead. We were dead on our way to a burning hell. But Jesus, the good Samaritan, he stopped by one day in our lives. And he bound us up, bound our wounds, gave us the gift that surpasses every gift, which is our salvation. That's what Jesus did for us. He was the original Good Samaritan. And because this Good Samaritan showed mercy, and he gave Jesus the right answer, the one who showed mercy, Jesus told this lawyer, go and do the same. I'm done. 